This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here, you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside, away from the screen, through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host, that's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally. This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here, you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside, away from the screen, through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host, that's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally. A lot has changed in the past 15 years, and in this episode, we're going to be taking a closer look at the evolution of the digital space from around 2008 to 2023, especially when it pertains to online business and online marketing. So I got started in the online business space when I graduated in 2008 from the University of Waterloo with a degree in software engineering. At the time, I had been an intern for a couple of different companies from a Silicon Valley startup to a job on Wall Street. And when when I graduated, I had a job offer to go and work for Wall Street, and I turned it down to start my very first business. And that business was all in the healthy eating space, and I really call that my training business. So I'll be talking about what I was doing back then and what has changed, and especially as it pertains to you today in your business and how you can future-proof your business, how you can think long-term and start to see trends in the online marketing space too. So the first set of observations around marketing and what's changed in the digital space are all around content and content marketing, especially. So the first thing is that blogging is completely different from when it was around in 2008. So first of all, back in the day, blogging was all about sharing ideas and stories and really connecting with an audience. And people would post to their blog very often and they would interlink blogs. So if you read a great blog, you would link to that blog article on your website and add your own commentary and your own ideas around that blog. It's essentially what we do on social media these days when we share a post that we like and then we give our opinion or our input around that concept. But back in the day, all of that was happening on people's blogs and on people's websites. And so platforms like WordPress and blogger.com were super popular and really, really powerful and kind of the most important part of an online business. Now, since then, blogging has really evolved and it's really turned into a whole content marketing and search engine optimization focus. So back in the day, people would post a 300 word blog post and that was fine. The point was not to show up in the search engines for that topic. The point was to publish your opinions or share cool ideas or a fix that you found for an issue or uh, a cool thing that you would just want to share. Now, these days, no one will publish a blog post that's just 300 words if they're a business owner. And that's because a lot more work goes into producing blog post content. There's all this keyword research involved. There's often AI and other keyword recommendation tools that people use to create content for their blogs. And then also there's just been a lot of evolution in how search engines themselves work. So at one point between 2008 and today, there was uh, this whole concept of article scraping. There's software you could purchase and there was tons of people selling this software where you would put in your keywords, maybe put in a couple of ideas for a blog post, and then 
basically this tool would scrape the web and scrape existing results in the search engines to build a quote unquote original article that you could publish on your own website to start ranking for that term. And so that was definitely a whole trend until Google got wise to that and search engines basically started to pick up on these signals and realize, oh, this is actually not original content and would start to penalize sites that had a lot of scraped content like this. Now, this brings me to artificial intelligence or AI, and I feel like we're in a very similar place where we're starting to see people just relying on AI to essentially scrape articles from you know the web and other published locations and publish those on their sites. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who uses AI to create content is just accepting everything that AI produces and publishing as is. There's probably some editing and some extra thought and other things that they're doing to make the content their own. But I will say this definitely echoes the scraping days. And I think that we need to be aware of that if we are using AI in our content. It has a lot of interesting applications, but also it's just kind of reminiscent of those scraping days. To me, this shows a maturation of everything on the web of the whole ecosystem of the web, where when you're searching for something, you expect to see the very best, most comprehensive article that you can find. And if that's not what you see, then maybe Google failed. <laughs> they didn't do their job properly, but I don't necessarily think this is the exact best direction to be going in either. And I'll be talking about that in just a minute as we move through this episode. Now, the next piece of evolution is under email marketing. And if you know me, then you know that I'm the founder of the 30 day list building challenge, which is a challenge I ran in 2011 and 2012 for the first time. And that's really helped so many thousands of people build amazing email lists that help them grow their businesses. And it's totally free, still available today. So go check it out. 30 day list building challenge.com. But here's what I've noticed about email marketing and how it has changed over the past 15 years. So first of all, email marketing used to be newsletters. People would say, sign up for my newsletter. They would have a newsletter sign up on their blogs. And that was just the nomenclature at the time. That was what people were sending. And it was cool. But once marketers really got into email marketing, and it wasn't just about sharing your blog posts via email, then it turned into email blasts and doing email promotions and email launches and email funnels. And I know you're very familiar with these terms, but I want to stress that there was definitely a very marked shift from newsletters into what I might call hardcore email marketing or direct response email marketing. And I think that these types of email blasts and email funnels are very effective. Obviously, otherwise people would not be using them, but I also feel like people got really burned out by all of this email marketing. And what I've noticed in the recent two years or so is a huge shift back to newsletters. And that was really kind of pleasantly surprising to me because I think that because of places like Substack and Ghost, and there's a couple of other platforms as well, like Newsletter Glue is a WordPress version, people are recognizing that Yes, I want email in my inbox that is informative, that's helpful, that's useful, that has great advice, and that's not just pitching me all the time. 
Now for us at Access Ally, which is my WordPress business that helps people create online courses and memberships, we've tried a couple different things over the past 10 years or so. And so originally my emails were very much personal from me and they were just stories or ideas and they were really meant to mimic sort of a one-to-one relationship. And we've recently moved into more of a newsletter format where we do have still the founder's message from me, but then we also have specific tech tips or tech tools that we recommend, as well as a case study and recommended resources and links that we think people will like. And it has been a really cool thing to experiment with our format and go back to a newsletter format, which is something that I had in my very, very first business around 2009. And it's just really interesting to notice how full circle email marketing really is, especially because you hear email marketing is dead so many times. And I really don't think it is. I think especially with what we're seeing with Substack and what we're seeing with sponsored newsletters as well, email is still the place to be. Next, I'm going to tackle podcasting. So I started this off the charts podcast back in 2014, I believe, and then it took a long hiatus and now we're back. And what I've noticed is that there has been a maturation and a saturation of podcasts since this time. So back in the day, podcasting was really a very geeky thing that not a lot of people knew what it was, how to do it, why you would want to even start a podcast. And now I think everyone knows what a podcast is. Even my mother who's in her seventies listens to podcasts and watches podcasts on YouTube. So that to me is the maturation of the medium and the concept of a podcast. And back in the day, a podcast was purely audio, but now it's both audio video. It could be edited. It could be live. There's all these different versions of podcasting. So to me, podcasting has changed and evolved quite a bit. And also the saturation piece here is that more people have podcasts than ever before. There are new podcasts being created all the time. And I think that podcasts have a bit of a discovery issue. So when it comes to say videos on YouTube or articles in Google, there's a little bit more of a search intent. People might be typing in something that they're looking for, but for a podcast, I don't think it's as discoverable. And part of that is because of the way podcasts are usually uploaded to podcasting directories or websites. And so those places might feature a few podcasts, but they're not going to feature specific episodes or have a really in-depth search that helps you find the type of episodes that you're looking for. So I think there's still a lot of potential for podcasts to get even better on the discovery side and also for people's podcast listening habits to change a lot too. Now, another thing I've noticed from when we started off podcasting way back in the day to today is that originally podcasting was really a way for people to connect with each other, to build an audience and to share maybe their guests expertise with their audience for that person to also get exposure while being interviewed on a podcast. And I think that's still true to some extent, but what I've also noticed is that there are now pay to play or pay to be on the podcast 
type settings where if somebody wants to be on a podcast, they need to pay a big hefty fee to the podcast host to be included or interviewed on that podcast. And to me, that really takes something away from the organic podcast experience. And I think it's kind of a sad way that the market has matured. And that to me is, it's just a sign that it's becoming more of a business and less of that community building, relationship building medium that I think it kind of started out as. Now, another thing that's changed with podcasts is more sponsorship opportunities. And I think that's great for podcast creators and for other content creators because it is hard to monetize the content that you create. So if you have an avenue like a sponsorship or ads or other things that you can do to your existing content creation flow, then that really makes it more sustainable for you as a creator or as somebody who has a podcast or a show. Now, the final addition that I will say about podcasting is that there has been definitely a clearer move to using podcasts to build authority and to make direct sales. So what's kind of cool about podcasting is that you have somebody who you're just listening to and you are kind of building this parasocial relationship with where you feel like you really get to know them when you're listening to their podcast episodes. And that can really facilitate the sale because people trust you and they say, yes, I, I know what this person is all about. Our values are aligned. I like their sense of humor or whatever it is. And you're more likely to see people purchase after they've listened to a lot of the podcast episodes that you might be putting out. And that is something that was definitely not so much top of mind at the very beginning of podcasting either. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit into how the digital space has changed in terms of online business models. So I've always been a geek when it comes to business models. And one of the things I've noticed is that way back in the day, people used to make money selling eBooks and online courses too. So online courses do go way back, but it has evolved so much from just a regular downloadable eBook PDF or a super simple like video or text-based e-course into what we see today. And a lot of the things that have happened in the online space where it comes to online courses is around things like gamification, progress tracking, making sure that people who sign up for your online course actually get the results that they want and don't feel like they just wasted their money and their time. And along with the maturation of the market and people being a little bit more skeptical about online courses that don't deliver results, there has been an upping of people's quality in their online courses, whether that means production value, recording with a film crew or fancier equipment, and then also investing more in the software, the automation, and the user experience of an online course. So some of those things that I talked about, and also just the design of an online course, visually speaking, as well as user experience design, those are all things that we've seen and also that we've seen as the founders of Access Ally and just seeing people use our software and other online tools to create and sell courses. That to me has been a very big trend for sure. Now let's talk about the changes in the consulting and coaching space, because I know that a lot of listeners are in that space or have been tangentially for a while. And so this is to me, some of the biggest shifts that have happened are all around how people deliver their coaching or their training. So one of the things I've noticed is a lot of high ticket masterminds and those high ticket masterminds were around way back in 2008 
and have continued on. And these tended to be smaller group masterminds with in-person events or online coaching in between. And most of the time, these types of high level masterminds were sold at big live events. And I think that model is still here today. I definitely still see it, but I've also seen the evolution of that to instead of a small group mastermind, now it is a high ticket, big group type of setting. So instead of charging a lot of money for more access and a more intimate group, people are charging a lot of money for a bigger group where the networking and the connections within the group are really where the magic happens. And I've seen these types of groups both with in-person events as well as just purely online too. So I think that is the evolution of people realizing that there's a cap on how many small groups you can run and just opening it up to more people and then selling the big group as a benefit as opposed to a drawback. And so that has definitely been changing over the years and has definitely led to companies having more revenue and just being able to sell more people into these big groups. Now we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Did you know Access Ally is the most flexible way to sell and elegantly deliver digital offerings as your business grows all in one place on WordPress. You can create online courses, memberships, directories, and communities, and even sell team access all on your terms. Go to accessally.com to get a demo and see why it's the business scaling solution you've been looking for. Now, over the years, there's also been trends around VIP days where people pay for a very short but high touch experience, whether these are VIP days in person where you get flown out or go somewhere in like a fancy resort and do your business planning or your coaching in this high intensity setting, or it is more of a virtual setting where somebody might do say your web design work with you, your branding work with you. And during that very short period of time, and then after that, they'll go away, create things, and then meet up again with you after the work is done. So I've definitely seen the rise of short bursts of work as a deliverable. And I think that is a really cool thing too, because I feel like it does build in a lot more autonomy and a lot more scalability as well as it's just a pleasant experience for people to get work done and get the value in a very short amount of time like that, as opposed to an ongoing long-term coaching type of engagement. Now, speaking of groups, I think that there's also a lot of potential and a lot of things that have happened in the group coaching space. So I think group coaching still has a ton of value and I've watched people create simple, small group coaching programs and people scale really large online only group coaching programs using other coaches that they've trained in their methodology. So this continues to prove to be extremely popular where people can sign up to work with the coach and instead of just doing one-on-one -on -one work with that coach, they're part of a community and they can still get access to group coaching with this coach. But if they want individual coaching sessions, then there are other coaches within the program who have the training in the certification of this coach's body of work and they can work with those sub-coaches essentially directly to get their personal questions answered 
registered. And that can be a very high leverage way of building a coaching business as well. And then Access Ally has features for people who might want to do something like this. So if you're curious, head over to accessally.com and take a look at our features all about teams and all about doing coaching and scaling your coaching. Another trend that I've noticed that was not possible necessarily back in 2008 or 15 years ago is the idea of people wanting to be a pure creator or influencer as opposed to a business owner. And this one came up when my friend Caitlin Bourguet talked about how she wanted to be more of a creator and how she was building her newsletter and all of her content around being a creator. And to me, it kind of took me by surprise because I feel like creators are business owners, but I think this whole concept of an influencer is really interesting from a business perspective because I have seen some of my friends who had online courses and who were doing different types of things like coaching and offering different things or affiliate marketing. And they kind of just realized, you know what? I just really like creating content. I don't want to sell courses. And so what they've done is now they've pivoted into being more of a creator or an influencer brand. And so they have sponsored posts on their social media accounts or sponsors for their newsletters or their podcasts on top of sponsorships or additionally to sponsorships, you can also do things like Patreon where you have subscribers who are paying you a small amount every month or every year, and that can really help offset costs of doing business. And it can really help you just focus on creating the content that you want to create. And so I've seen a lot of people become more of those creators, influencers who just want to focus on posting and doing videos or doing podcasts or whatever it is that they are super passionate about. And so they don't have to worry about also creating a product and also offering consulting and also having something that they can sell as the form of a service or a product. So I thought that was a really cool shift that I've noticed. And I think it's really interesting because I don't think that was an option way back in the day, but it is today. Now I'm not going to touch about the evolution of software in the past few years because that's a whole other episode and Susie Istvan actually asked me to cover a little bit more about running software as a service type businesses. And this particular episode was asked for by Tanya Geisler. So I love her and I'm super excited to be able to talk about this topic. Thanks to her. So thank you, Tanya. Now there's one last big piece and big shift that I want to talk about. And that is platform influence. So I think that a lot of the shifts that we've talked about so far in this episode actually came about because of algorithms and the big tech companies that kind of underpin the modern web. So that would be Facebook and Instagram algorithms. So when you post on Facebook, whether you have to pay for ads for people to see your content and then the whole Instagram algorithm as well. And then there's things like TikTok and other types of platforms that really help you spread your content out and become a little bit more viral. Then there's the whole Google and YouTube algorithm. So yes, there is something to being found in all of these platforms, the right keywords and all of that. But a lot of times the algorithm has a big heavy hand in what they show and what they recommend. And a lot of that comes down to how long people watch your videos, how long they stay on your website. And so it's really interesting to me how all the things that people are doing in their online businesses are to cater to these algorithms and to these platforms. 
There's also platform influence on Twitter and LinkedIn. Then there's the more shopping related ones like Etsy, Amazon, and Shopify. So these platforms have changed all kinds of things from the commission structures that they offer to percentages they take when you sell on their platforms. And those definitely have had a huge impact on sellers on Etsy, on Amazon, and on Shopify. And it's really interesting to me what has happened in those realms. I don't sell any products on Etsy or Shopify, but I do have books on Amazon and definitely go and check those out. If, if you are curious, just type in Natalie Lucier into Amazon and you'll see I have three books that might be of interest to you. So the first one is just called list building and it's all about building your email list. The second one is called pre-sell your online course before you even build it. And the third one is the course idea planner. So definitely go and check those out. But to me, all of these platform influence pieces and what business owners have had to do over the years to sort of twist themselves into pretzels to fit with the algorithm changes and publisher guidelines, as well as advertisers and all the money that we need to pump into these platforms to make them work for us. I think to me, it really seems like we're going to go full circle again towards moving back to owning your content on your own website. And that's why I'm such a big fan of WordPress and self-publishing on WordPress or even things like Substack, which are great for publishing newsletters. But if you want to do a newsletter on WordPress, I highly recommend newsletter glue. It's a great plugin shout out to Leslie Sim, the creator of that. And I think that there's a lot to be said about owning your real estate on the web and not depending so much on all of these platforms because they will inevitably change. And I've noticed what's happened on Facebook. A lot of businesses were built within Facebook groups and people would build these amazing Facebook groups and communities. And now to me, Facebook groups don't have the same power that they used to. People have gotten burned out. They don't want to go on Facebook anymore. And so communities are also moving onto people's own platforms, whether it's in the form of Mighty Networks, Circle, or people who are choosing to use Access Ally and Community Ally. There's just so much power in sort of controlling and protecting the environment around your community so that you're not competing with ads and you're not competing with rage articles and all kinds of other stuff that are happening on social media all the time. So to me, these are the big, big shifts in the online marketing space in the last 15 years. I'm sure I could come up with more. This is not the most exhaustive list in the world, but I hope this gives you something to think about what has changed, where we're going, and also what you can do to think long-term in your business. And to me, that would be having your own website, not depending on these social platforms, having your own email list, potentially an email newsletter as well, and really focusing on the business model that is going to be the best fit for you, whether that is online courses, memberships, coaching and consulting, maybe it is publishing books, maybe it's software. There's a lot to explore there. So definitely stay tuned to the off the charts podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a review in iTunes and also just share it with your friends because I'm so excited to be back to doing this podcast and I will catch you in the next episode. To get the show notes and links from today's episode, head over to natalielucier.com and click the podcast link. You can also subscribe to receive email notifications when new podcasts are released. Thanks for listening and until next time. 
Want to keep growing your business on your terms? Then sign up for my free newsletter, The Momentum Memo. You'll get quick, actionable tips to gain momentum in your business every Tuesday. Head over to natalielussier.com forward slash memo to join over 6,000 other entrepreneurs scaling on their terms. Whether you're just getting started or have been running your business for a while, The Momentum Memo has something for you. 